Hey everybody, in Serial Killer Country. My name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week we'll discuss something new and interesting in the serial killer world, then we'll discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer and go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then, because most serial killer fans love to get a little spooked, Brian will lead us down the road of the paranormal or just something that he found to be particularly creepy this week. Uh, this week, though, actually, this is based off of what I would say is a raging debate on the TikTok Caught podcast. And it is the fact that people are sexually attracted to serial killers. Every single video that I have that mentions Ted Bundy, uh, Dahmer, Richard Ramirez. Oh, Night Stalker, yes. People devolve into arguments about why or if it's okay or if it's morally all right for people to be into serial killers. And so we decided to look into this. So there's a name for this. I, have you ever heard of it, Brian? I've never, ever, 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 ever heard of this. Okay, so the name for people who gain some level of sexual interest in criminals and killers is called hybristophilia. And this I found very annoying earlier today when I was looking into this, which is that uh, they used a definition of a word that I didn't understand to define the word that I already didn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) So hybristophilia is called, it's a paraphilia. And paraphilias used to be called Back in the day, sexual perversions or sexual deviations. Kink shames. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is why nobody liked that naming anymore. Uh, so that's essentially what a paraphilia is. And I want to be really important here because the DSM-5 makes a point to say that paraphilias and paraphilic disorders are not the same thing. So just because you happen to find Ted Bundy cute or you want to send a little, you know, pen pal letter to a serial killer does not mean there is actually anything wrong with you. But it is a sexual urge that people don't have control over. And they do find that people can't change this thing about themselves. So that just explains that part. But it's it also covers people who are into cheaters, which... Oh! Yes! <laughs> But like people who know that the other person is cheating and are specifically sexually into them because they are cheaters. So it covers people who are cheaters, liars, known uh, people who've done committed infidelities, crime such as arsonists and murderers. So when you say cheaters, now are they attracted to people who are who are cheating? with them or cheating or just people just people cheating period maybe it's that phenomena and you know people guys always go girls only like bad guys i'm like maybe these are the girls they're talking about they like the guy who they know is a cheater can we not go for that guy (laughs) it's not my personal thing or a person not my personal thing but maybe this is part of it um they also use the term committing an outrage being with a partner known to have committed an outrage, which apparently uh, derives from the word hubris and philo 
So in popular culture, they're referring to this as Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. So essentially wanting to date someone who is dangerous in some way to you, I I personally can't. Or to themselves, yeah. or just to society. Right. Now, 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 when you said committing an outrage, all I can think of is, are these people still attracted to Jem? Because Jem was truly, truly outrageous. Oh my goodness, this is a reference that I don't fully understand. What, Jem? <laughs> I feel like I only know what you're talking about because many of my friends on Facebook talk about this all the time. Okay. <laughs> they they know. <laughs> Someone listening will understand what you're talking about. But yeah, so this is related to high-profile criminals, particularly those who've committed atrocities, crimes. They receive constant fan mail in prison. It is often amorous and sexual, and they think it's because of this phenomenon. And some of these admirers go on to marry their prison affections in fact i had a friend of a friend who multiple times started talking to men in the local prisons and she ended up dating a former hitman we thought this was a really bad decision and we tried to dissuade her from it because she also ended up having to take herself and her children to the local women's shelter to hide from him because he was a hitman. Right, right, right. Obviously, like, he's a professional. He knows what he's doing. If he wants to murk you, he's going to get you. Now, there have been some discussions, and like I said, this is a very controversial subject, so please don't get mad at me, people, in the comments. <laughs> but the the causes that they've said is that sometimes it's low self-esteem, a lack of self-worth, a lack of a father figure, because many, many, many women seem to have this issue um some believing that they can change a man who is cruel as a serial killer others that see the uh little boy inside of the killer and seek to nurture him uh, a hope that they can share in his spotlight Hmm. and then there's the notion of and this is a direct quote the perfect boyfriend she knows where he is at all times and she knows he's thinking about her While she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to endure the day-to-day issues involved in most relationships. There's no laundry to do, no cooking for him, and no accountability to him. She can keep the fantasy charged up for a long time. And recently, when I was reading uh, about Richard Ramirez for the quotes section, the quote series I've been doing on TikTok, Mm -hmm. he mentioned, actually, I didn't include this in the video, but he talked about how he made a point to only specifically talk about the love things and not talk about like prison realities and things of that nature. But he was fully aware that he was engaging these women in a weird fantasy Ah, and giving them that fantasy via letters. He knew what he was doing. Um, But yeah, this is just, uh, some people think it's apparently evolutionary psychology. Uh, Serial killers are alpha males. I say that in quotations, alpha males, because what does that even mean? Um, and the the notion between even alpha males is that those are supposed to be men who are good at protecting women and their offspring. But I'm like, how can you protect me as a woman if you like to kill women? I don't understand how that works. Yeah, like, eventually you're going to either try to go for me or you're going to end up back in jail and you're not going to be able to protect me anyway. So, uh, so some of the examples that we have. Four uh, really high-profile examples of hybristophilia would be the large number of women who 
flocked to Ted Bundy after his arrest. Uh, In fact, when he was defending himself in trial, hordes of women showed up to watch him in the courtroom each day. Uh, He received hundreds of love letters while he was incarcerated. Um, He married a woman named Carol Ann Boone, who um, he met while he was working in Washington. He proposed to her in the middle of proceedings while Boone was on the witness stand. And how how in the world she made it through the Wadir process, which, sorry, I was raised by lawyers, so I use lawyer words sometimes. But uh, that's the jury selection process. How in the world they didn't say, do you already know this man? Have you previously had sex with him? Oh, my God. Because oh my I God. feel like that would be a question that you need to answer right, yeah. before <laughs> you're on the jury. Like, they didn't even think. But he proposed to her while she was on his jury. And supposedly she said she gave birth to a child that's probably Ted Bundy's. So they didn't even... So... <laughs> <laughs> Here I go. I said this wasn't going to be a super funny podcast, but there we go. Talk yeah. about weirdness. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so not just to single out the guys um, or the, the women who are interested in the guys serial killers. You have to mention uh, Jody Arias as well because during her case or, you know, just her trial or whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of guys. I don't know if you know anything about... No. Okay. <laughs> you see my face. I'm yes. very unaware of this. Yes, yes. Um, She was is i think she's still yeah yeah this is this didn't happen too long ago i'm I'm not don't quote me on this i don't know all that much i just know of the name um but she's an attractive person Mm -hmm. uh you know and oh do you think this is like with those like remember that guy who had the tear on his face and like the light eyes and how they called him like the hot like criminal he got a modeling contract after his mugshot went I viral think, yes, yes 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 i also saw a couple of women who also took very cute mugshots and people yes. on the internet went crazy about them too and, and i don't mean to throw this name out there but uh also like casey anthony as people well people still talk about casey anthony like in a people weird say way. that she's attractive and stuff like that and i'm just like i can't get over it. i just can't get over, i can't get over the didn't fact- she just open a detective agency yes she did Yes, you did. told me that i did <laughs> in freaking florida that i the, honestly that places. feels very oj to me that feels very like i didn't do it but if i did it here's how i would have done it yeah but, casey anthony like listen i didn't kill my child but let me tell you how to find people who may have killed their children right how weird but either way um you also have a uh, charles manson groupies oh yeah who course. are still oh, huge oh, oh of course and also, there were a couple of terrorists who also experienced this, which is, uh, do you remember the Boston uh, bombing? Uh-huh. The younger brother who didn't get killed by yeah, police? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And do you remember how uh, Rolling Stones had that spread magazine and he was, like, laid out all sexily on a bed? Yeah, people were also very into him, yeah. too. See, so. this is what we tried not to do for this podcast. It was really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we don't, we, we try not to sexualize or... Yeah, I'm really not trying to get you to really want to be with any of the people I'm talking about. Please, don't. I mean, if you, if if that's your thing, I'm not going to kink shame you. Definitely (laughs) not. Um, but, like, that's not what we're about. So, (laughs) it's, it's not. (laughs) 
that's what we want to talk about today. That was our, our relative, our, you know, the thing that was really relative this week. Like I said, I got so many messages on TikTok about this and people were very upset. This is so disrespectful that people keep saying these men are attractive. And all I can tell you here to anyone who's listening who has an issue with this is that apparently this is something that these people can't control. It's kind of like people who are into feet. It's just something they're into. Something that's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, no kink shaming. No kink shaming. But feet are disgusting. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are totally kink shaming. <laughs> that, I, will, I will kink shame feet. I don't care. Feet lovers, go go away. Go away. I'm sorry if I just lost some listeners, but damn. <laughs> All right. Before we begin the next section of our podcast, I would love to tell you, uh, When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique which some people have noticed is a business that I own. It's a small boutique jewelry company that specializes in cute and creepy jewelry. And next month, the Magic Class will be launching a When Killers Get Caught line of murder-themed earrings. So until then, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can always stop by www.themagicclass.com and use the code CAUGHT to get 15% off of your entire order. And thank you so much for supporting the Magic Class, and thank you so much for supporting us. So this week, I did not, even though people on the live streams have asked me multiple times, Brittany, who are you going to talk about this week? This is one that involves a little bit of history, a lot of context. I do not want anyone to think that I justify what this person did at any point, but we are going to talk about Madame Delphine LaLaurie. And... She would be known as the evil slave owner from New Orleans, and she tortured her slaves in a mansion in the middle of New Orleans. They based an entire season of American Horror Story around her legend, and I wanted to learn more about her and decipher what of the information that I've known about her for most of my life is real and what is just ghost stories. And I was surprised about some of the things I've learned. I was horrified for some of the other stuff that I learned, and I think you'll be surprised too. So to start, she was not born Madame Delphine Lalaurie. Her name was Marie McCarty. It's <laughs> <laughs> a jump. Her middle name is Del. Her middle name was Delphine, and she was born in New Orleans, March nineteenth, seventeen eighty-seven. She's one of five children. Her great grandfather had brought the family to New Orleans from Ireland around the year seventeen thirty during the French colonial period. So she was actually a second-generation immigrant, which I didn't know at all. Um, her father's name is Louise Bartholomew de McCarty, and her mother is Louise McCarty. And I bring up her parents because apparently they were big shots in the European Creole community. And I find that to be a really strange phrase because Creole is an ethnic community, yep. generally people of African descent. But apparently there was also a European Creole community. And this woman was part of the elites. Now. When you say Creole is like a ethnic yeah, thing, it's considered so, an ethnic group. Does that does that um, include the people from New Orleans who say they're like Creole and stuff like that? Right, that's the ethnic group. Uh, it's usually okay. West African people. Uh, they're mixed with like French, Spanish, Native American. I was about to say because I know a lot of people down south or in New Orleans, they they're not all black, so. Yeah, it, it's that. So that's normally what you, when you're referring to Creole, you're referring to the ethnic group of people, West African, and also mixed with like Spanish, French, uh, and Native American, indigenous. So it's I all a mishmash down there. I did not know that. Okay. Um, well, 
Miss McCarty over here had an uncle who was the governor of all of the Spanish American provinces in both Louisiana and Florida. Not entirely sure how that worked. And her cousin was the mayor of New Orleans. So she, not only was she just a rich lady, but she came from a lot of influence and power, which you don't see a lot in serial killer stories. Mm. They're generally people who feel weak and they're killing to feel powerful. So she came from wealth. Um, It's also really important to note here. This is just, we're smack dab in the middle of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, And when Delphine is four years old, the Haitian revolution would begin in 1791. Now for a lot of people, we have listeners around the globe here. So if you're not up on your American history, the Haitian revolution was a series of conflicts between enslaved Africans in Haiti and the French. And it lasted a total of 13 years. And during the conflict, slaves were doing pretty much everything in their power to overthrow the French regime. It was a big deal and it scared a lot of people who were slave owners. Now up North, while this is happening, Slave owners are just quaking in their boots. Right. They had never seen this kind of fighting back from slaves. There had been a lot of smaller revolutions or smaller insurrections, but this just caused a shift in how slaves were treated during this time period, specifically in the U.S. and the Caribbean. They'd already been afraid of previous revolts. And then Delphine's uncle gets killed in that launches what's called the Mina Conspiracy of 1791. Then there was the Point Coop Conspiracy of 1794 and the German Coastal Uprising in 1811. And some people, I won't say his name, the uh, rap, apparent rap genius, might believe that enslaved Africans in the United States were docile. Oh my god. <laughs> but in fact, there were a lot of rebellions like this in the U.S. from the time that like, enslaved Africans were brought over here. In fact, the reason why they would be held at the bottom of slave ships was because when they were first being brought over, they would jump off of the ships in mass. So these revolts brought about harsher penalties for slaves for running away and the already horrible conditions for U.S. chattel slavery got worse out of fear for insurrection. So I don't say this to forgive Delphine or justify the horrors that she would go on to commit But I think it's very interesting that her most formative years, starting from when she was four or five years old into her early adolescence, she was raised seeing extreme violence against the people who were taking care of her. Um, And I think this might have been the the base creation of violence in her life that would shape who she would become. That's just something that I, I, I thought about that. And I'm like, it doesn't justify anything that she would go on to right, do. Right. She's it's, nasty. It's just like a domestic uh, violence victim and they grow up in there just... Yeah, some people who were raised in violence grow up to be violent. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that she experienced it, but she saw it. And I can only imagine. It's the same way that I think about people who were raised during Jim Crow racism mm. in America. Like, you lived in a time period where there were lynchings all the time. I don't know how you just get over that. I, my, my own father was born in 1948. I don't know how he lived through up until being post-18 when the Civil Rights Act was signed. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing to me. You know, I remember at one point uh, during the previous election cycle saying to him, I'm so upset, I'm so sad. And he just looked at me and he was just like, we've been through worse. We'll get through this. 
right so that stuff does not go away that does not leave you at all you, like yeah, especially if you live through be, it yeah he grew up in baltimore that's the south if you live right through that you're not gonna forget until the day you die and that's terrible but as far as madame delphine lollery goes she's not del she's not delphine lollery yet she's still mccarty 13 years old she's married off because that's what we do that in that time and age she married some high-ranking spanish royal officer uh his name was don ramon de lopez y angulo and i'm like wow what a long name guy <laughs> uh louisiana was still a spanish colony so they had a bunch of essentially spanish officers right. uh Four years later, they're on the way to Madrid because he needs to go back to Madrid for a, a, apparently a really important meeting, and he dies. She's pregnant, and she doesn't know what to do, so she just comes back to New Orleans. Four years after that, she marries a local banker named Jean Blanc. That's 1808. They get they have four children, but he also dies eight years later. Uh, they don't say how he dies when I was doing research on this. Huh. So, two husbands. Two, husbands, <laughs> two husbands are dead, and she's at this point... <laughs> Uh, let's see, let's lose it. She was 13 years old. So she's 21 and she has two two husbands and five kids. The widower times two. Got it. Okay. All right. But so then um, she remains single until 1825 and she marries a much younger doctor named Louis Nicholas Lollery. This is the time period when she buys the land on 1140 Royal Street in New Orleans where the mansion where all of the horrible, horrible stuff will go down. She would live there with her third husband and two of her daughters. And at this point in her life, she is maintaining a position of being a high society woman. She has her family's money. She has her husband's money. She has her previous two husbands' money. Mm -hmm. She has enough money that she buys that property on her own and she manages it separate from her husband. Which is almost unheard of in the early 1800s that you're going to be a woman who owns property. What are you talking Excuse about? Excuse me, what? Yeah, exactly. But the marriage is strained and she petitions the local courts to leave her husband. Uh, pretty much citing irreconcilable differences and saying that her husband's a jerk and her children confirm it. Nice, nice. <laughs> so all I can wonder is, considering <clears throat> how terrible we learned that she was, how bad this guy must have been. Yeah, how much of a jerk could you be to right. someone who's terrible? It didn't stick with her, though, because her husband ends up being there on the day of the big fire. Mm. So before I get to the big fire of 1834, which is how she got caught, we need to discuss the fact that from the jump, Madame uh, Delphine was always abusing her slaves. There was a pattern of mistreatment before the fire started. Um, documentation that I was able to find goes back to 1831, which is a year before she'd even finished building the house on Royal Street. So before she was even there, separate from dude, she was doing horrible stuff. Now, apparently publicly, she was considered to be, <laughs> direct quote, generally polite to black people. Oh, she's one of those fake races. There you go. One of those. You know exactly the kind of woman she was. And apparently she treated her slaves kindly. However, these are other, okay, so this is really fun. And I'll explain where I got some of these direct quotes because they're from interviews that were done in 1836 of people who lived near her. Someone said that her slaves were singularly haggard, haggard and wretched. So despite the fact that this woman was very affluent, 
her slaves did not look affluent. They did not wear good garments or looked any different than, say, a plantation slave. Right. Which was very odd to the people around her. Enough that they thought to mention it to an interviewer years later. Right. So you're you're rich. You're dressing nice. And how, how come your slaves aren't dressing that nice? How come you're, the people who work for you also don't? Well, it's hard work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> work my ass. Work, yeah. Stop. Stop. Uh, I can't use that word. It's not mm-hmm. really work. But anyway, um, apparently, so I found funeral records that went back to 1830 and they show the death of 12 different slaves that she owned. Now, of course, because they didn't keep good records, they didn't say how they died, but it is believed that she killed them too. It would seem odd that four slaves, like three to four slaves per year would die under your care. Like, what are you doing to make their lives so awful? Right, yeah. And rumors had already started that she was doing things. Enough so that uh, she would free one of her slaves in an attempt to save face. And it got to the point, the, the local buzz and the fervor and people gossiping about her, that they called out local officials to make sure that she wasn't abusing her slaves. Now, even though slavery was rampant in New Orleans at the time, there were rules and they had laws in place of how you were supposed to treat people, regardless of the fact that they were slaves, which is. Oh, you mean like animals? I guess so. Kind of. <clears throat> like farm animals? They kind of had <laughs> rules like that. Um, but again, these these laws weren't entirely well enforced. And of course, the lawyers and cops find no evidence of wrongdoing. Now, the incidents that would lead her to, I guess, first get in trouble is uh, there was a 12-year-old girl, it's believed that her name was Leah, uh, and she fell off the roof of the mansion to her death. Um, Delphine tried to hide it, but they would end up finding the body in the well because people were like, we definitely think we saw someone falling from the roof. I'm just letting you know we think we saw someone fall from this roof. Okay, I'm going to go check that out real quick. Um, some other writers who I looked into said that she had been brushing Delphine's hair, hit a snag, and Delphine had grabbed a whip and chased her. Even though they did check on this, even though they found no evidence of mistreatment of the other slaves on her property, she would be found guilty of something called illegal cruelty. And she was forced to turn over nine of her slaves, pretty much as a fine. Now I've described this woman. Do you think those nine slaves stayed where they were sent to? Hell no. Nope. <laughs> no. Her no. family pretty much one by one buys them all back for her and brings them back to her home. Oh my god. You just couldn't let them go. Mm, just no. It's like, I already abused you. I would like to bring you back so I could abuse you some more. Yeah, no one else touching you. I'm going to touch you. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next thing that was a really big deal is that net neighbors had heard that she kept people chained up in her house and she would beat her children for trying to help the ones that were chained up. Yeah. So such a wonderful person. Uh, That ended up actually being true uh, and actually worse than people realize. So it's April 10th, 1834. A fire starts in the kitchen. When the police and the fire marshals arrive, they find the 70-year-old cook chained to the stove. Delphine is there with her husband, and she is trying frantically to save her furniture. (laughs) 
That's not funny. It's, it's not funny. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. Oh my god. So you're going so you're going to save your furniture and not people. And nobody else. Just mm-hmm. just 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 no. Here's worse. Here's worse. The the cook says she was attempting to kill herself because she knew she would be punished and slaves taken to the upstairs room never come back. Well, that piques the interest of the police. Now, according to a local newspaper, the New Orleans Bee, bystanders had kind of forced their way into the mansion to check and make sure that the slave quarters had been evacuated. Delphine refuses to give them the key, and the neighbors break down the doors. They evacuate her slaves, who she was going to let burn alive in a locked room. This is upstairs? No, we haven't even gone upstairs yet. Oh, this is somewhere else. the, The slave quarters are on the first floor. Okay. But it gets worse. It actually gets awful. Um, the cook leads them upstairs and it's like, this is where people go to die. Is that, is that a quote? It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty much what she said. They, they, they like break the cook who, I mean, bless this woman. She tried to like burn herself to, to save other people. Right. Yeah. They walk into the attic. There is a stench of death. From bodies that are still alive. This was Madame Delphine's torture room. Um, they find seven people horribly mutilated, spiked collars so they can't move, some of them still alive, eyes gouged out, mouths sewn shut. Mm. One was suspended by the neck, the arms had been pulled until they were broken. Oh. Of the slaves who were alive and not catatonic from torture, they were able to tell police that they had been there for months. And that she would let she would hang them as punishment for not doing what she wanted. There was a judge who entered the slave quarters and saw a woman who had no arms and there were figures cut into her skin. There was an older black woman who had such a deep head wound that she couldn't like walk, which is believed that Delphine was doing something to her brain. Oh, um, they were all like the ones that were alive. They were bound in horrible, restrictive positions. And some had been whipped to such an extreme that I saw multiple books use the term flayed. Yeah. The best word. So the judge who went up there and saw some of that stuff is like, what the hell? And he talks to Delphine's husband, who's also there. And the husband responds. This is a direct quote. And it just explains the audacity of this man. He says, some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses and to dictate laws and meddle in other people's business. Which I would say is quite a fancy way to tell a judge to mind your business. I just, you know, folks had the audacity, even in 1834. He had, oh my god, I want to, never mind. Just, what, what, (laughs) what? Yes, that's a direct quote from dude. But here's the thing, so... All of the people who broke in, not all of them saw everything that was happening, but some of them did. And word spread, and it spread fast, that the LaLaurie's, like, something horrible happened in this house, right? So, an angry mob appears at the house, and they destroy everything, absolutely everything they can get their hands on. By the time the police get there... They cl- they say that there is nothing but walls and floors. Huh. Two of the abused slaves would die within the next two weeks. 
The others that are stable enough were put in the local jail because they didn't know what to do with them. Let them go? I know, I know. Um, And people were actually allowed to come see them. In fact, within just a few days, 4,000 people had stopped by. This is also a direct quote. To convince them of their suffering. Mother. Or in my book, to to watch the carnage. These people stop by to look at the horrible stuff and probably feel better about themselves. You know, I wouldn't do that to my slaves. Let's somebody. That sort of thing. The town also digs up the yard, finds two bodies in various states of decomposition. One of them is definitely the little girl. Mm. Now, during the riot... Delphine dips from town. Um, her and her husband hop on a boat heading to Mobile, Alabama. From there, she takes another boat and ends up in boat and ends up in Paris. Now, for the next few years, now ugh, this is the one that really like this. All the other stuff she did was horrible, horrible, horrible. The next few years, the property is half burned and ripped up, and people in the area just call it the haunted house because they would hear weird sounds and screaming and banging all hours of the night and the day. Well, in 1838, this guy named Pierre Trastor buys it and begins rebuilding the house to what it actually would look like today if you go to New Orleans. When they are ripping up the wooden floorboards, they find bodies. It would appear that Madame Delphine also stored living slaves under the floorboards in her kill room. And so some of the sounds that people were hearing were not ghosts. They were people who were trapped. Oh my God. And were starving. So that's just another thing that we have learned uh, about this terrible, awful, horrible woman. Wow. Horrible woman. Um, the house itself would be used as a high school, briefly, then a music conservatory, an apartment building, a furniture store, luxury apartments. I cannot imagine being in luxury apartments. I saw an interview from a woman on a, actually it was a ghost show, saying that she lived there when they were apartments. And Apparently, it was a horrible time the entire time she lived there, which makes sense to me, because why would you want to live in this sort of a location? Yeah. It's a beautiful building. I've looked at many pictures of it. But, like, such terrible stuff happened there. But regard, I try not to live anywhere that stuff like that happens. But a fun fact, Nicolas Cage apparently owned this place for two years. Oh. um, Until he had all those tax problems, and then it was sold off. So it is privately owned right now. You cannot visit it. The most you can do is stop on Royal Street and look. As for Delphine, she was exiled in Paris and apparently insisted that she wanted to come back for years. That's okay. You can stay where you're at. Her kids and other relatives had to convince her that it was not in her best interest to stay in Paris. Um, She would die in 1849 at the age of 62 years old. There was apparently a rumor that she died from a boar attack, but we're not that lucky. It was probably just natural causes. A few decades back, people actually found a gravestone with her name in a local cemetery. But as of right now, nobody has any idea where her body is. She never went to jail. She never experienced any justice for her horrible crimes. And, you know, because that's what power and influence can get you. Yep. Even though we didn't have the terminology for what she did at the time, she is considered to be one of the earliest serial killers in the United States. Uh, She roughly has about six confirmed deaths, and that's not really a big deal, but the torture before said deaths was considered to be substantial and worse than quite a lot of other modern serial killers. Now, I was actually 
uh, thought I would tell you all where I got some of this information from. Specifically, one book was super interesting to me. So uh, the majority of this information came from two uh, true crime books. One's called Madame LaLaurie, Mistress of the Haunted House. That's by Carolyn Morrow Long. The other one was called Mad Madame LaLaurie, New Orleans' Most Famous Murderess. And that was written by Victoria Costner Love and Lorelai Shannon. The other thing where I got the direct quotes from people within the community is from a book written in 1838 called Retrospect of Western Travel. This uh, woman named Harriet Martineau uh, was just traveling through like the southeastern part of America and she got to New like Louisiana and specifically she was writing a chapter on New Orleans and she was just like, hey, why is this house over here? Because she was writing this book in 1836, two years after the fire. Mm. And she's like, why is this house all jacked up? And the neighbors were pretty much like, oh, you don't know about Delphine? Let me tell you. And so she inadvertently gave us an incredible record of what happened and what her community thought of her. So some of those direct quotes that I gave you are from this book. I couldn't find a physical copy, but thank goodness for Google, because I found a PDF that was like a photocopied version of the book. So you can look it up. Just look up Retrospect of Western Travel and you'll be able to see it. But that in itself is Madame Delphine Lollery, a horrible person who didn't get what she deserved. I just love how like the neighbors had so much tea on her. They had so much to say. (laughs) They were vicious. Um, They reported everything. Oh, goodness. So much more, like, mindful than current people. Yeah. Now when someone finds out there's a serial killer, they're like, he was such a nice guy. What are you talking about? <laughs> These people were like, oh, no, she was the worst. Did you hear about this? And, and like, the fact that when I when I think of her, I always go back to a freaking American Horror Story, of course. And I'm always like, so she, she didn't get her slave, didn't kill her, nothing like that. Unfortunately, didn't... there was no uh, incredible voodoo queen named Angela Bassett who could put her in a grave and and curse her with being living forever. Yeah. Unfortunately. Sad. So sad. I wish. <laughs> American Horror Story gave her the end that she deserved. Yes, there you go. That's the end she deserved. Be tortured for To be tortured for eternity. Absolutely. Ever and ever. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, now that we're done with that awesome story, uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to my story this week. I'm very excited. And I'll be covering The Hands Resistant Haunted Painting. Oh, that look on your face. A haunted painting. A haunted painting. I am uh, interested. I love haunted items. A supposed haunted painting. No, I okay. love haunted items. Okay, well, before I get into the story, let me... Um, oh, can I see it? Yes, I'm going to show you a picture of it. Yes! Okay, so I'm going to show you a picture of it. When I first saw this picture, it gave me chills. Oh, like, no. I, I, like, when, when it's, it's nighttime right now. Are you going to spook me before bed? Probably. <sighs> So, like, I have a problem with, uh, was it, the Uncanny Valley stuff. Mm, me too. It gives me nightmares. I don't like mannequins. Like, it's not mannequins for me. It's like, so I've mentioned this before, but it's like uh, composite drawings from, like, co- uh, police sketch artists. Oh, yeah. Like those things. How did you feel about Samuel Little's drawings, then? I did not sleep well that night. 
because oh. I because I looked at who I saw them. I was like, oh no. I've looked at about twenty five of them right now. Yeah, that that when I googled it the one time, and I, that's like the first thing that popped up with images, and mm. I was like, oh, thank you for that. Oh, I'm so sorry. But uh, yeah, okay. So here's the painting. Okay. Um. Oh, what in the world? <laughs> it's a little girl. It looks like she's holding like a can. Oh, but she's a doll. She's not real. You can definitely tell she's a doll. She has little marks on her arms with a bending part, and her eyes are all black. But then there's also, are those hands in the background? They are hands. And there's a little boy. Yes. And he looks unhappy. I mean, I would be unhappy in this situation as well. The hands resist him. Why? Why would you draw this? (laughs) What was the motivation? Let me get to that. Ooh, oh, thank you. I'm so happy. This, I'm here for it. All right, fantastic. Okay, this painting was created by the artist Bill Stoneham in 1972. It depicts a young boy and a life-size type of female doll um, who is holding a piece of herself, which it looks like a battery pack or a battery cell. So oh. that thing she's holding in her hands, it's like a battery pack, and you see the wires coming out of it. Tell you how much of a criminal I am. I thought it was a can of spray paint. <laughs> I was like, why is this girl holding a can of spray paint? Did they do that in the 70s? Probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, and they are standing in front of a glass door mm-hmm. with disembodied hands behind it. That's the worst part. Now, when I first saw this painting, I only saw the one hand that was behind the boy. I saw at least two or three in the picture you just showed me. So, when I looked at the picture, like, in a bigger scale, mm-hmm. there are more hands. There are um, more hands than, like, many. two or three. I don't, um, I didn't count, but there are a lot more than two or three. Were you afraid to count? I just didn't want to look at it all like that, because I don't like that picture. <laughs> I don't like that painting at all. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> it's, oh. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that was just, no. That was just a no for me. Okay. Um, this painting is rumored to be haunted. Uh, the boy and the girl appear to move around and even leave the painting at night. Mm. Not something you want to hang in your... In your no? Mm-mm. No? Not in here? No, you want, no? You sure? I'm going <laughs> to tell you about an experience I had another time. Maybe not on the radio, but that Ooh. reminds me of something. Ooh, never mind. Let's go to this. Let's get back to this story. We'll talk about this later. Maybe. Some other time. Don't okay. mind me. Just trauma. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the little boy in the paintings, actually the artist, when he was a young boy, uh, he modeled it off of a photograph of himself from childhood. He was uh, four years old. The doorway is is a representation of the dividing line between the world of fantasy and and, and possibilities and the world of our world, I guess. The world of fact and things. Um, The doll is a guide that escorts the, the boy, that will escort the boy through life. The hands represent alternative lives or possibilities his life may have taken or could have taken, like different routes he could have taken in life, and you know, but he can't see them. He can't okay. see the hands. The boy is either looking towards the future, or us as a viewer, or looking into the past. Okay. Stoneham was also inspired by a poem, a poem that was written by his wife. Yeah, um, his his first wife, uh, 
Roanne Ponsetti. Okay. Um, he even chose to name the painting based off of the poem. Okay. Uh, the poem was about Stoneham and how he was adopted, and he never knew his sibling, his biological siblings. So, I have the poem. Would you like me to? Let's do it. <laughs> I just happened to, you know, it's it's something I saw and I was like, this would be nice to add. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. He is of the seeing visions. His strokes reveal them. In a rush of color, of madness, of mystics, in his head is the highest center. It must confront its enemy. The hands resist him, like the secret of his birth. His presence is the sanctum heartbeat, felt in darkness and in passion. Its sound, the sole gift to the silence, to that silence. Okay. So yeah, that's the poem his wife read, uh, uh, wrote, wrote about him. Interesting. <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. So Stoneham displayed the painting at a one-man show in Fane Garden Gallery in the Fane Garden Gallery in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. Okay. In the early 1970s. Sorry, this is like right after he painted it, so he put it right in the gallery. Okay. So, a man named John Marley uh, bought the painting. Now, I looked, I didn't look too far into this, but John Marley, he apparently uh, played in The Godfather. Oh, okay. So, I... So, he had a little bit of money, money, money. Yeah, I honestly forget what character he played, but that's a little um, history, you know, celebrity stuff for you. Uh, Before the painting was sold... An art critic who reviewed the painting died within the year. Ooh. And the owner of the art gallery also died within the year. John Marley died in 1984 after open heart surgery. Uh, he had sold a painting before he died. But to who it went to? No one knows. Okay, so then... <laughs> we get that part. Somebody had to know. It had to come back somewhere. It it had to go somewhere, right? Yeah. So an elderly couple later on would find a painting behind an abandoned brewery. It was a a brewery that was turned into a gallery. Okay. And maybe someone was trying to get rid of it after some experience. Yeah. So what they said was like a picker found it behind like the, the abandoned building and... But, I mean, this was a piece of art that was owned by, like, a rather wealthy person. Like, and he so he must he must have sold it to a gallery, and then the gallery must have gone out of business or whatever. Maybe. I, okay. Do galleries make money? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get into the convoluted politics of art, and but yes. Yeah, okay. They so, make a lot of money. So Some they, of them do. They, they must have ran out of money, and then they just abandoned everything, or they just couldn't okay, sell so like everything. Okay, so like an old place just got rid of everything and chucked it, like when they leave those uh, old asylums, and yeah, they just yeah. leave all that stuff there? Basically. Okay. Something like that. They couldn't sell the painting or, okay. or whatever, so they just, whatever with it. I just, no, I just all thought that they just chucked it out back because it was creeping them out. <laughs> Maybe. 
so they would take the painting home and hang it in their four-year-old daughter's room. Why? Yeah. Why? Maybe because like it looks like a doll. Yeah. Okay. You you saw the painting. Think about it. I'm gonna be real honest. Uh, I can't imagine putting <laughs> that in a child's room. It's very very frightening. Exactly. The daughter complained about how the children would fight, and that the girl would threaten the boy with the object in her hand. She also said that the figures would leave the painting as ghosts and continue fighting outside of the painting. Wow. Yeah. So hearing these claims from their daughter, the parents set up a motion-activated camera in a daughter's room that was facing the painting. <laughs> I'm so... Come on now. Did they catch something? Anything? <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I just got real excited. I know you did. That was a fantastic face. I loved it. <clears throat> so for three days and three nights... They kept the they kept the camera rolling uh, at the uh, you know at the end of the three days and three nights, they took the footage the footage and the pictures out of the camera and looked at them. So here's what they saw on the footage. So the painting seemed to take on a life of its own. No way. The colors were changed, and the object in the the doll girl's hand changed from a battery cell to something that resembled a gun. Or when I first looked at the picture, I thought she was carrying a gun. And I thought I was being weird. I was like, why is she holding a gun on this little boy? Now, now that can be explained. That can okay. be explained away. That, that whole gun thing can be explained away. Okay. So that's actually just based on lighting. So if I, if you look at the painting in okay, a certain way. So it was way, like when you first showed it to me, yeah. I saw a gun and then I looked closer and, you and look it at wasn't it. there. Exactly. Okay. Cause when I first, like my first cursory thought was that looks like a gun. So imagine them viewing this painting at night, and right, and, then, and it's in dark lighting. Yep, in a dark bedroom. Why didn't they move this out of this child's room <laughs> while they were doing this? Oh my god, poor so, baby. Exactly, poor baby. So the boy seemingly tried to exit the painting under the threat of the girl. So they saw they could. I guess they could see that the boy was trying to leave the painting because of the the doll holding the gun. Oh. So, yeah, that's a thing. I could not find any pictures. Oh, that would be beautiful. <laughs> I could not find pictures. I was looking around. I was like, because I was going through my my sources. I was like, okay, one of you guys have got to have pictures in here. Nothing. No pictures. So the object seemed to change based on the lighting. Okay. Then the family insists that there was something off about the painting, though. Okay. So instead of, you know, destroying the painting or, like, chucking it, getting it out of the girl's room. You know you can't burn things when they're haunted. They just come back. Just get get it out of the house. Okay, I agree with that. That's why it was chucked in the trash behind a building. Okay, well, instead of, I I would have destroyed it. I would have, be honest with you, I would have burned that thing. (laughs) And then you would have found it on your living room table the next morning. You know how that goes. If that's the case, then I would have done the next thing they did. Okay, what's the next thing? So, instead of destroying it, they anonymously put it up on eBay. Love it, yes. <laughs> it's what they do. I love it. So, I don't I don't know if most people have heard of this story, but this is actually like the haunted painting from eBay. If I you, did you, know about this. If you Google it. It reminds me of the Dybbuk box, uh, the haunted dolls. I'm all about those stories. Oh, They're goodness. so much fun. I remember seeing like a haunted Elmo on eBay or something okay, like that. No, that's silly. <laughs> Tickle me Elmo. They are dangerous. Have you seen them without the skin? Yes, exactly. That and the Furbies. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, but continue. 
I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> okay, so they they placed it on eBay um, with a description describing the painting and its history, the background of how they found it and whatnot. You have a screenshot of the eBay listing, don't you? I don't have a shot of the eBay listing, but I do have the description that they wrote on uh, the, the listing. Okay. So here is... Did I skip something? Hold on a sec. My bad. I'm sorry. Oh, right. I wanted to actually give you a quote from the the, the, the parents. Oh, okay. The family. So it says... This is when, when they first got it. So it says, when we received this painting, we thought it was really good art. A picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered, we want, we want, we wondered, yeah, a little girl, why, a little why, a seemingly perfectly fine painting will be discarded like that. Today, we don't. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. One morning, our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children in the painting were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Now, I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my husband was alarmed. To my amusement, he set up a motion trigger camera for the nights. After three nights, there were pictures. The last two pictures shown are from the stake. Okay, so this is from the eBay listing. So, the last two pictures that are shown are from the stakeout. After seeing the boy seemingly exiting the painting under threat, we decided the painting has to go. Please judge for yourself before you do. Please read the following warning and disclaimer. Okay, so here's my interesting thought on this, right? Mm -hmm. A motion trigger camera would still be triggered by something, even if the thing that they saw in the picture was a trick of the light. When the world was moving... Maybe the daughter was tossing and turning in her sleep? Hmm. I don't know. Did they put it that close to her bed? I don't, I'm not sure. These horrible parents... This should not have been anywhere near this child. Oh my god, why didn't I think of this when I was reading this story? What? About the motion trigger camera. Why That's just was my it thought process. Stuff? Why would it go off if like nothing was moving? Uh, but then my thought process is, what is moving? Because it's, I'm imagining it's facing, like, probably pretty closely, a wall. Yeah, a wall. It had, it had to have been, like, near a wall by a window, so it would catch her, like... If, right, if, some if, kind of moonlight or something. Yeah, or something going dark, by. Or they have it flash in the middle of the night, which is horrible for the child trying to sleep. I really hope they let this girl move out of her room while they were doing this. <laughs> I doubt it. I just keep thinking about this poor baby. Poor baby. Okay. Okay, so what happens? Who picks it up after eBay? I'm reading the disclaimer. The, the warning. Oh, oh, there's a warning. There's a warning with this painting. Okay, I'm here. Okay. Warning, do not bid on this painting if you are susceptible to stress-related disease, or if you are faint of heart or unfamiliar with supernatural events. By bidding on this painting, you agree to release your owners. <laughs> I'm sorry. You agree to release the owners of all liability in relation to the sales or any events happening after the sale that might be contributed to this painting. Okay. This painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that can impact or change your life. However, by bidding, you agree to exclusively bid on the value of the artwork. With this regard to the two last photos, phone, two last photos featured in this auction, and hold the owners harmless in regard to them and their impact, expressed or implied. Now that we got that out of the way, one question to you eBayers. 
we want our house to be blessed after the painting is gone. Does, an, does anyone, anybody know who is qualified to do that? The size of the painting is 24 by 20, uh, 36 inches. Oh, jeez, it's huge. Yeah, it's pretty big. So it is rather large. As, I, as I've had several questions, here are the following answers. There was no odor left behind in the room. There were no voices or the smell of gunpowder. No food. I'm guessing it says it says no food prints, but I'm pretty sure it says no footprints. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> no footprints or strange fluids on the wall. Okay. To deter questions in this direction, there are no... Oh, okay. So so this last part, they added before the, the auction ended. So okay. to deter questions in this direction... There are no ghosts in this world. No supernatural powers. This is just a painting. And most of these things have an explanation. In this... uh, that was something a lawyer told them that. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yes. And this... this is absolutely not a haunted painting. This is ridiculous. I know we listed it as a haunting painting, but it's not a haunted yeah, painting. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, it probably got like viral in the old days, you know, like a million people saw it. Hey. <laughs> that's the difference between viral then and viral now but uh it was probably point crazy on the internet and then someone reached out and was like yeah you might want to cover your ass yep <laughs> just in case uh in this case probably a fluke light effect i encourage you to bid on the artwork and consider the last two pair photographs as pure entertainment and please do not take them into consideration when bidding oh, as yeah. we think it is a good idea to bless any house we still welcome input in that procedure. <laughs> so what I'm thinking here is that an attorney saw this listening went, here's what you should probably say. And then rather than erasing all that other stuff, they, they just went, we're going to add this little bit on the bottom, like what you told us. I mean, Justin, because you, that, that was a long, it wasn't at that long. That was like a paragraph. But come on, who's going to read all of that information? Nobody's going to read all well, of that. Well, it's so silly because it's also not something that you can force. You can't. You know what I mean? There's no... eBay is not like a legal situation here. This is true. Try to get something back on eBay. Try to well, get your is... money back for something on eBay. I bet you can't. Well, this is like those situations where people post on Facebook, this is a private page. Anything that I post on here 100% belongs to me, blah, 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 blah. You know those little things that people repeat and you like at boomers will, yes. you know, older people who aren't yes. necessarily tech savvy will repeat it. They, they Even one of my friends who's in, who's in her 30s too posted something like that on on instagram and i was like that is not at all how that works technically you are the owner of that artwork but fair use is a thing and someone can take your picture remix it and it belongs to them now so they if you don't steal it. yeah if you don't uh, the, the gray line here when it comes to who owns what is all over the place especially in 2021 so they will definitely just yank your stuff because the internet. So is for I don't everybody. think what they wrote probably protected them from anything. Mm -mm. So, like I mentioned in in the description, they included pictures that the motion catcher, the motion camera caught. Mm -hmm. um, more than thirty thousand people viewed the listing. How many bit? <sighs> I wish there was a way to find There that. was a number. No, I, I saw the number. I just did not write it down. Aww. <laughs> I saw the number. I actually might have it still up. But um, anyway, I'm just going to move past that. But yeah, I think a lot of people have bid on that painting. Okay. Um, do you know how much money they made? Yeah, I do. Okay. So before the, 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 the auction ended, 
Some people claim to experience strange happenings while viewing the listing through the computers. Fun. Yeah. They reported feeling ill and a few fainted or had unpleasant experiences. They don't mention what kind of unpleasant experiences. It's just... Okay. They were unpleasant. Children seemed the most to be the most affected from seeing the painting. Some had vivid nightmares. Some would wake up screaming from the dreams. Others would run away screaming or just freak out. Other people, other people said they felt a touch from an invisible uh, force. Someone tried to print the picture out and their, had their printer malfunction. Okay. One person claimed they heard an exorcist-type voice accompanying a blast of hot air. So I guess they mean the demon in the exorcist, possessing the little girl. I found it. How much was it? 30 bids. 30 bids? It sold for $1,025. I wasn't into that part. I'm sorry. I <laughs> found the listing. Oh my God, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a weird interneter. Look at you. But yeah, 30 people bid on it. Crazy people. What is wrong with y'all? Mm. I thought it was like 100 something. So 30 is too many. No, that's not enough. For a haunted painting? Come on now. <laughs> Another claimed to have a blackout slash mind control experience. So I guess the the painting took control of their minds and they blacked out oh from it or something I think like this that. Is a, uh, Look, this is also this is something else. <laughs> so the, like I said, the, the sellers they backtracked before the auction ended and they added the last part about ghosts not being existing, not existing, and not being real stuff. So like Miss Brittany said, the painting sold for. $1,025 to Kim Smith, oh. owner of Perception Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. That makes sense. An art connoisseur yes. would buy it. Now, Kim reports that you know she didn't experience anything creepy with the painting at all, but she did receive emails of prayer and someone quoting Bible scriptures to her. Okay, so creepy person. Yep. Another a uh, person sent her an email about advice advice on cleansing her residents of evil. Now, this was a shaman who had uh, actually emailed her on this. I think it was a, I believe, Native American shaman. Okay. And Listen, I appreciate all manner of smudging, especially from someone who's a shaman. <laughs> Please listen, cleanse my you, house. Here's the thing. If you do it wrong, you can actually invite things in. So you want to make sure you get the person to do it the right way. Yes. You you know what you're doing? Okay, come help me out. Please. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was like, listen, I'm like, all right, let me see your shaman website and then we can get going. Oh my God. It's like. <laughs> I bet you people have websites it's now. Like, it's like. I'm it's, sure there's tribal websites where we can get this. It's like that one episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Have you, have you watched I used Aqua to Teen? watch that show. Okay. It's when uh, Billy the Shaman or whatever the heck is, Billy the Witch Doctor. Okay. Probably so, with that show. So. He he comes to like resurrect Master Shake. Okay, and and unfortunately, Billy is only an entry level <laughs> witch doctor. So he's a level one necromancer. So he can only summon chickens. Oh, I think I do remember this—the demon chicken episode. <laughs> chicken arise, chicken, chicken arise. No, we're trying to summon Shake. 
Okay, chicken or rice, chicken, chicken or rice. Okay, so I would not go for a level one. <laughs> I just want to make sure this person knows what they're doing. So they were contacted by a shaman? Yes, that, yes, she was contacted by this a shaman about Kim. cleansing. Yes. Now, how would people have known who she was? I mean, you had a username on eBay. Um, That I do not know. She, you think she promoted it, maybe? I, she's the I, one I think who she, bought it? Since she, she put it in her gallery, I'm pretty sure she promoted it. Okay, somebody, and, people probably came to see it. Exactly. It the big haunted paintings on the internet. Yep, exactly, exactly. And she also received reports of people being repulsed or made ill, mind control stuff, once again, from, like, the eBay uh, listing. Okay. Listing, yes. So the gallery finally got in contact with uh, Stoneham. He's still alive. He, he, okay, the guy who owned it? Yeah, the one who, the, the artist. The guy who made it? Yes, the artist. Oh, fun. Yeah, he's still alive. So how did he feel about all this craziness? <laughs> so so the, how they, it's funny how they actually got in contact with him because someone just checked the back of the painting. Obviously, like if it's an original piece of painting, obviously the artist's going to yeah, have it. Yeah, he would have wrote his name on it. Nobody had done this before until it got to this gallery. So that means they left it in the original framing for quite some time. Yeah. Until the, the new person went to put it in a better frame. Yeah, I'm just like, so how how long has it gone by? And- I mean, it makes sense. I have a... It's a print up there, but I haven't taken it out of its original framing mm. that my mother gave me. I mean, normally artists, if if they're caught, but sometimes they, they people will front. put interesting things in the original frames that they put this paintings is true. in. It's true too. So I would take it out just to be a snoop. <laughs> but nobody did that until they got it to the gallery. Okay. So he was shocked, of course, by all the stories surrounding the painting. Oh no! He's so, like upset. He, he like he wasn't upset. He was just surprised that like all these all these stories. But he wasn't he wasn't as surprised as you think he would be because two people had died with, uh, before in his showing. Oh yeah. So did he think he was cursed or something? He thought. I think he kind of thought that there was a curse placed on the painting or like something like that. So someone saw the original story about the painting and commissioned a sequel of the painting. Oh was, my goodness! From Stoneham. <laughs> um, so this was created in 2004, and it's called Resistance of the Threshold. The Threshold. Resistance of the Threshold. Yes. Okay. So this features the same characters, but they're aged uh, 40 years in the future. Okay. So the 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 boy is actually an old man. He has a beard, and the doll is like kind of robotic now. The face is like popping off. And stuff like that. No, that's fine. You you Google that. Okay, so I I'm not too sure about about this next part. Okay. But there there were two more painted paintings created in this series by Stoneham. Are you looking at it? I do not like this. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, the guy is older, but the girl's face is being pulled off by one of the hands. Yeah. This is worse. And there's bees. Big bees. Listen, I have an unnatural fear of the Japanese hornets. So that's all I see here. Why? So there's more? There are two more. Another one, another sequel, and then a prequel. Okay, I have to just Google Bill Stonehelm then. Yes, he has a website. Stoneham. So on, on the one source I read... It said that Zach Bagans commi- uh, commissioned. Yes, as- he did. Yep, you're right. For his haunted 
museum. <laughs> Damn it, Zach Bagans. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen, we just learned that's an acceptable swear word on that movie we watched. This is true. Okay, so yeah. So so apparently Zach Bagans, he, 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 Bagans, Bagans. Yeah, the um, guy from Ghost Adventures. Yeah, that, our, our lovely man from Ghost Adventures. Um, so apparently, yeah, that one. So is apparently, that the prequel. That's or? the prequel. Okay. So apparently, he commissioned for the prequel of the painting, which now hangs in his haunted museum in uh, was it Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah. Okay. He says one of our prized possessions at the haunted museum, the hands in Venton. In yes, by artists and mystics, Bill Stoneham which shows what's inside the window to his other very famous painting on the right. Stoneham's art is very active with paranormal occurrences, and that's probably the only time I'll be on his Twitter. (laughs) So, technically, that's the only piece of Stoneham's paintings that Zach Beggins So he doesn't have the original. So what's the one that came after, after? (sighs) So we have the prequel. Yes. The hands invent him. We have the resistance. The hands of resistance. The resistance of the threshold or something. The resistance of the threshold. Yes. So what's the fourth one? I really don't like this. The newer one. The hand. Oh, I don't like it. So the 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 other one. Hold on, I got it right here. It is called threshold of revelation. Okay, this just looks like a nice little old man fishing. So yeah, that's it's not too bad. It's another sequel. It's just the boy fishing out something which I cannot. It's just and fish. the little girl is now a person. She's not a doll. She's real. Maybe she just got transformed it's like AI. That movie transformed. <laughs> there's birds. There's a tree. There's a weird pipe of so, water in the background. So he's still alive. He's still alive and kicking. Um. Threshold of Revelation was created in 2012, and the prequel, The Hands Invent Him, was created in 2017. Now, The Hands Invent Him is from the perspective behind the glass that the boy and the doll were standing in front of. Yeah, he's in the original painting. Him painting it from behind. Yeah. But what is this? Okay, so I see a hand on a bike. But can we talk about the little person pulling themselves out of the floor? And the little, like, people at the bottom of the screen. Little tiny eyes. <laughs> Those are weird. And also the little Blair Witch dolls hanging from the tree. Oh my goodness. This is just... I'm having a lot of feelings it's just, about all of it's these. It's just... It's it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I would agree. So where does this end, then? Okay. So... So, Stoneham's first impression when hearing about the painting. Um, and the family story was... Why'd you put it in a, in, a, in a child's room? Thank you. At <laughs> least Bill knows what's up. Like, why did you do that? At least Bill Stoneham knows what's up. And like, why would you put this pic? This isn't a story for a little girl. No, it's not. Um, so he claimed that he never intended for it to be creepy or unsettling or, you know. Okay. Scary. The whole eBay thing changed his life, though. It inspired him to start his own webpage. Uh, um, if you want, if anybody wants to look at his artwork, it's called StonehamStudios.com. Um, that's where I got some of this stuff, including mm-hmm. the poem that's on there. Um, he began painting again. He was inspired to paint again Aww, from all so this. Nice. Yes, got back to work. 
Um, he's also a radio talk show host in Dallas. Oh, cool, boo. Maybe you yeah. listen to us. So if anybody lives in Dallas, the radio station is KDGE FM. Um, he held a haunted painting contest on the radio oh, for fun. the listeners. Uh, so the listeners sent in emails about his original painting. And he reported that the entries that they, that they sent in were disturbing. I'm sure. To him. Um, some some were oh, speculating about... He's got some really good, creepy art. Yes, yes. So some of the listeners were speculating about, like, the life of, like, the the boy in the painting. Mm-hmm. Saying that he was, like, abused or something like that. They were, I guess it was, like, they were either, like, fictional stories that they were making based Weird. on the painting mm-hmm. or something like that. But they were just... He said they were unsettling. So there was a book written about the hands that resist them. Oh, wow. So it's it's called The Hands That Resist Him. Be careful what you bid for. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good. That's good. And it is a fictional tale. Oh. Based on it's based on a painting. Okay. It's, it's um it's a fictional tale about a serial killer. Oh no. Known as the Life Swapper. Okay. So and that book is by Darren Kyle O'Neill. I'm strangely interested. So the painting would still... I think the painting is actually still in the Perception Gallery. Okay, and, Kim's Gallery? Yes. Okay. So I think they still have the painting there. That's good. I'm happy that nothing bad happened to her. Yes, and I'm not sure about the sequels, but like I said before, Zach has the prequel. In his little tweet, he said that it's one of the most popular things at his gallery, which is wild because he has some... He has some wild stuff in there. Doesn't he have like the car from Dr. Kevorkian? <sighs> I'm not sure. I know he has. Yeah, I think he has that. Or he had it at one point. It might have been there, like, temporarily. Because, you know, museums swap the stuff out. Well, that was thoroughly. That was a good spook. I'm here for it. There you go. We got chills. Hopefully everybody else liked that. Uh, And that is the Hands That Resist on Haunted Painting. Yeah. Well, all I can say is, I think we had a good time this uh, evening. We learned about a horrible human being. Yes. We talked about people who can't help being aroused by uh, <laughs> people that are murderers. And then we learned about a really creepy painting. Yeah. And I would just like to say thanks to all sponsors, specifically to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to like frame that. Let me but just yeah. toot my own horn real quick. Like I said, if you would like to sort of support the podcast, my jewelry business is www.themagicclasp.com and it is it definitely benefits us if you go and find something you like there that's cute or creepy and a month from now there's going to be a bunch of knives, guns, all forms of things that people kill other people with. I am making them into earrings right now. So I hope that you'll like that. That'll be our first like branded product oh we got merch now oh my god first say merch <laughs> oh i'm gonna say like comment and subscribe next oh too. my god <laughs> hit that bell no thank you but if you were someone who follows the podcast that's caught podcast uh if you follow the podcast when killers get caught on any of the sites that they are on right now thank you so much if you follow me on tiktok at caught podcast thank you also so much and uh, you can also follow Brian on Creeps with Brian, also on TikTok. If you want to. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much. You have a good night. Bye.